0: I have a dream that's about being euthanized. It's the only recurring dream that I have. Or, really, it's the only time that a dream of mine has taken on a story of its own. I don't know. Possibly it affects me because it's the first dream that I can actually remember. I know that I probably dreamt when I was a lake monster. But I don't remember what about exactly... But I do remember this because it didn't actually feel like a dream at first. So it came on the first time probably a year into being at the facility. I was being looked over by doctors day in and day out and it started out this dream with doctors looking at me. And Always I would be in this little windowless room and it would be snowing outside. I don't actually know how I know that, but I, I know that in my head. And the doctors would all be poking at me, and they'd be feeling my spine or my stomach or looking into my eyes. And then they'd stop, and they'd shake their heads, and they'd say something like, this really won't do. And later it progressed. It was different doctors in different dreams, and they'd say, this really won't do. Hmm. I Don't like the looks of this. How long have you had this? Do you know what this means? Do you have difficulty breathing? I Had a version of that dream uh, about once every three or four months and Finally one day just after I started freshman year. I had this dream where the doctors said We'll have to schedule an appointment about this every time After the doctor speaks, I wake up, and the tension is gone, and I wake up feeling not refreshed exactly, but uh, not bad. Not as bad as I think I should. And anyway, I always wake up. I don't know why, but I think I have that dream more on nights when it rains. And it rained the day of David's funeral. It rained as I woke up, and I hadn't had the dream. I hadn't had any dreams. I actually hadn't slept much. My mother and Dean and I had stayed up with Olivia playing cards and watching movies, and I think we all knew that sleep really wasn't going to be much in the picture. And we woke up early, and my mother said, I was thinking we could go to IHOP, which was odd because... She hates IHOP and all that it stands for. 24-hour pancakes? It's wrong on par with indecent exposure to serve pancakes after 11 a.m. on a weekday, she told me once. But there we were. Getting up early in the morning on a Saturday to get pancakes. Almost like a family. She was dressed when I woke up. Sitting at the dining room table, doing a crossword. Had she slept? I actually couldn't tell. I kissed her cheek, and she pressed my face against her face. Dean woke up next. He began to whistle as he went into the kitchen to pour iced tea, and then he stopped abruptly, like maybe he'd forgotten something. And then, after an hour passed, my mother said, "'Well, if we're going to eat, we should probably wake Olivia.'" But she came downstairs, unprompted, not five minutes later, and she was fully dressed, one thing that did strike me as odd, at least odd by Olivia's standards, is that she wasn't wearing makeup. And I have never seen Olivia go outside without makeup. It wasn't staying, she told me. So we got into the car and we drove and we ate and then we arrived at the church. David's funeral was held at a small church. I'd never actually known him to be religious, but the program said that the songs we'd hear played were his favorite hymn and then a rendition of If It Be Your Will by Leonard Cohen. It was a simple arrangement. He'd been cremated, his urn sat, framed by a wreath of flowers, and a photograph of him, smiling. I walked among the pews, and I sat with my mother... And Dean and Olivia. I walked past Noah and Jess and Trevor. Trevor held her hand limply and he looked at me and I nodded at him. And then Dr. Holloway came and sat down next to us and she leaned against my shoulder, which was something I'd never in a million years pictured her doing. And Michael and Fatima and Paul joined us. And it was us, our little circus that was when I saw them. This man and this woman standing in the center of the room, with tears in their eyes. And I knew who they were. All this time, all the time that David had described his family, I'd never actually been able to picture them, really. When I had, I had seen them in my head as dragons or ogres or some sort of monster, but there they were. Two people with red faces, and tear-streaked eyes, and a small line of people gathering around them. I went over to them. I really wasn't planning to say anything. I mean, all this time I'd hated them, because by proxy I'd always assumed David had hated them. And maybe I had missed something, because, I don't know, it was, it was odd. It was really odd they hadn't brought him back to Buffalo. They'd cremated him here. They'd held his service in this small, rural, non-denominational church. I got close to them, and then I stopped. And I stood at the periphery, but to my surprise, his mother cut through the crowd slightly and walked up to me. His father followed her, and they both looked at me like they were trying to decide if I was really there, or if I was just some kind of illusion, and then she said, You're Will, aren't you? Yes. I felt her arms drawing around me, more arms from David's father, and then the two of them were encircling me, and I felt them both crying into me. No one had ever cried into me before. You were kind to him, she said, and she said it like it was a question as much as a statement. Thank you, I said. Thank you, she said and they held me for a little longer. And then the service began, and the organist began to play, and we stood and started singing, and as the song ended, we returned our hymnals, and I became aware of this small cluster of people standing behind us, and I recognized them, because it was Alan Robeck and his son, Tristan. I felt my mother's hand reaching around and pulling my attention back towards the front, towards the service. I saw them when they walked in. She whispered to me, just don't look. But I couldn't help it. I looked. I looked behind me, and I saw Mr. Robeck was staring at me. And that was when it hit me. It came to me as clear as an icicle falling through your skull, and I realized that I knew something that up until then I had really only suspected. There'd been a car. A car that had run David off the road, and it had run him straight into a telephone pole. It was a car that had killed him. It was a car that had fled the scene, that hadn't even stopped. It was a car that, according to witnesses, had driven off like nothing had happened. It hadn't stopped, and it hadn't cared. Car accident. But it hadn't been an accident. It had never been an accident. Or... Well, really, David wasn't the one that was supposed to be driving that car. Actually, because it was Noah's car. There was no reason to assume that Noah wasn't the one driving. And it made me think back to the courthouse, to Paul Renton, standing over us, when he'd said to Noah, "'Do you want to have an accident in your sad little life?' And then he'd been terminated. So, who'd been driving the car, then? I didn't think it was Renton. That seemed too obvious. It was too obvious an act of revenge. I figured it was probably either a hired goon that either Renton or possibly Robeck had hired. I I don't know. But it made sense. And I had known it since the day that David had died, but it just made complete sense now. And we sat, and I felt the wind leave me. And then the service ended. And we walked outside, and there was this light, misting rain spitting down at the fresh spring grass. And my mother said, Do you want to go and get some lunch? Uh, I don't really feel hungry. I think I'm going to go for a walk for a minute, clear my head. Do you want me to come? No, thank you. I'll go hang out by the car, she said. And I watched her walk off, and then I took a deep breath and I turned around... And Mr. Robeck was standing there, and he said, "'Getting some air, Will?' I coughed a little. I gaped. I couldn't think of anything to say. "'Please don't talk to me,' I told him. "'You have no right to be here.' "'I have every right to be here. "'This young man was a large part of my life "'and one of my employees. "'Regardless of what you may think, Will, "'I can be quite sympathetic. "'I'm sure you can, Mr. Robeck.' Please go away from me now. Why? Why can't I talk to you, Will? The trial's over. Because you're scaring me. He looked hurt by that, and then he said, Well, it's your business, of course. And I suspect we'll see each other down the road, as it were. Take care. And then he walked off. Down the road. <laughs> we'll see each other. Down the road. Murderer. I felt a hot, stinging feeling rising in my head, and my hands clenched. Down the road. My toes dug into the soles of my shoes. Before I knew it, I felt myself walking back towards the church. Will, I could hear Olivia calling. Will, what are you doing? I need a minute. Down the road. Take care. I pushed the church door open and walked into the men's bathroom. I could feel my face getting hot, and it was getting hard to breathe. It was like there was bile swimming in my lungs. Take care. I thought back to the last conversation that I'd had with David. Will, I don't think you should do that. I'll see you. I don't think you should fight with your dad down the road. What would you know about that? Take care. And that was when I felt another stinging sensation. This hard, pounding sensation. And then I heard the sound of something cracking, breaking, shattering. And then there was pain just flooding through me and I looked and I saw my fist making contact with the bathroom mirror and then I saw it shatter. I saw it break. There was a crack like a spider web in the center and then it it spread and the whole thing just fell apart and i saw it break into a million small little pieces and fall on the floor except for one one large shining jagged shard of thick polished glass hanging onto the mirror with my other hand i picked it up i felt it It dug into my hand's flesh. It slashed my palm without hardly any force, and I could feel little glass flecks sticking into my skin, but I didn't care. I clenched. I gripped it tightly, and before I even knew where I was going, I was going. My feet were carrying me without any feeling, without any knowledge, without anything. And in the back of my head, I heard this sound that was like the buzzing of a fly, and... And then I was outside and Olivia was still standing there and she gasped when she saw me with my one broken, shattered left hand and my bleeding glass-stuck right hand. Will, oh my God, what happened? But I I didn't answer her. I pressed on. I saw Mr. Robeck, Alan, standing there and of all things talking with David's parents He was such a wonderful young worker when we knew him. Believe me, there's no hard feelings. Alan! I said. And he turned. And I said, Take care. And then, I felt my right hand reaching out, bringing the glass shard down, burying it into his throat. And he stared at me for a minute. They all stared for a minute. Everyone looked like it wasn't happening, like it wasn't possible. And then... He gaped, and he fell onto the grass, and I took the shard, and I raised it again, and I plunged it into his stomach, and he let out this wheezing sound, and I brought it down again, and again, and again. Animal, I said. Will, I could hear my mother shouting. And that's when I looked down at my hands. I expected to see them swollen, bloody, but they weren't. They were healed. They were unscarred. They were unbloody, unblemished. And my right hand was shaking the hand of a still-living, still-standing, still-breathing Alan Robeck. We were standing outside. The slight morning rain was still spitting at us. You take care, he told me. It's all in your mind, I thought to myself. "'You're losing your mind,' I thought to myself. "'I... um... "'Yes, yes, I will, sir. Uh, "'You do the same.' "'Are you all right, dear boy?' he said. "'You look like you went somewhere just now.' "'No. I'm fine, sir. I'm, I'm perfectly fine.' And then I turned to go. Before I could reach my mother's car, though, a voice said, "'Will?' It was David's mom. Yeah, Mrs. Watterson, I said. Uh, What's up? Lori, she said. My name is Lori. You can call me that if you want. Oh, okay. I just... I wanted to thank you for coming today. All right, I I know you were a very good friend of my son, and I wanted to thank you. You and Olivia and your mom... I know that I wasn't the best to him. Oh, Laurie, that's... You don't have to lie. David was never a wanted child, and I made just about every mistake I could have. I gave him up, Will. Twice. I was cruel to him when they brought him back, and, well, you'll never... No. You will never, never know how much it meant to me that there were people who loved him. And then she handed me a small Ziploc bag. It was filled with ash. What is this? I said, and she smiled. What should I do with this? I asked. Whatever you think is best, she said. I trust you. I gave Olivia some, too. I trust you both. I'm going to keep the rest with me and Tom, but I wanted you two to let him be someplace he'd love. If you do that for me, I will, I said. She pressed herself against me, and I could feel the tears again against my chest. They were warm and ruined, and I patted her head, and I let her cry for a very long time, and the rain kept falling down. And then my mother and Dean and Olivia and I drove off to a little diner a few miles away and they made me order a turkey sandwich and a side of mac and cheese. And even though I didn't think I'd be able to eat, I actually, I ate every bite. So yeah, that brings us up to speed. I've stayed with my mother through the weekend and I think somehow we're already heading towards finals, as unlikely as that seems, but you know and i'm i'm also pretty sure at this point that i should stop and take stock of myself like how am i doing i'll tell you how i'm doing listener i'm tired i'm just really fucking tired like this used to be easier or less straining i guess and somehow Even now, even now that I've gotten everything I ever wanted, I'm still just fucking tired. And my mother's away in Columbus with patients. She's had to take on weekend clients to play catch up. And my dean is off practicing with his um, little river band cover band. Can you guess what their name is? (laughs) If you guessed the other guys, you guessed correctly. Regardless, I've got the house to myself for the whole day, pretty much, and I guess I should find something to do. Well, uh, I suppose, if I'm being honest with you, there is one thing I've thought about doing that I haven't. When my dad stormed back to California, vowing never to return to Ohio, he took his rental car and his small suitcase, but the one thing that he didn't take was his little plastic baggie of magic mushrooms. Because that's still up in my room, locked away in my desk. And I've been thinking lately about taking them to see what it's like. You all remember my last experience with psychedelics ended, um, rather poorly. But that was back then, and I really wasn't prepared to receive the truths offered to me by a smoothie concocted of pure ayahuasca but I'm a different person now, in a different place, and if this new-age website that crashed my computer is to be believed, Shrooms can offer the user a chance at true introspection and peace if taken in the right frame of mind. Or, I guess I could also enter a terrifying mindscape where I view everyone and everything around me as giant crabs, but that's a bit of a dice roll. I guess I could just take one start with. Of course, I guess it would be better if I didn't take these alone. Um, I could call Dad. Am I really gonna do this? Yeah, I am. That's crazy, right? Well, shut up. I've got them. All right, I might as well use them. Okay. Yeah, uh, I guess let's call Dad. I mean, he did want to research the effect on me, so. But then again. I did break his nose. Now <sighs> ah, let's give it a go. No, nothing. I guess he's ghosting me. Well, that's uh, pretty typical, Dad. Ah, fuck it. Let's do it anyway. Over the lips, past the gums. Look out, tummy! Here it comes. Oh, ah. ah, yep, oh, he was, uh, he was 100% right. That is a powerful umami flavor, yeah. Mm. Do you think maybe they lose their power if you saute them? Yeah, gross, yeah, it's gross. I should get some water. And I'm sure you wonder, listener, by now, uh, where do I record these memorandums? memorandi, Memorandus. Memoranduses. Either way, it's not really a great secret. Typically, whenever Windler's in session, if I have time, I like to get up early. And i like to go to a little hiding place that only I know about. And I won't say which one, because I don't want it to get disturbed. You know, I gotta preserve the mystery. But I will say this. You'll know when you've found it, because I've marked it with a WH in black sharpie. And also, someone already drew a bunch of penises there a little while ago. No one ever really bothers me when I sit there, though, and I like it. It's been my ritual since, um... I guess when I stopped writing songs. I guess those songs were kind of silly in retrospect. Olivia thought so. You know, I really haven't written a word since the night she told me that. I mean, no one really wants to hear about mold or liquor or... I mean, who's ever written a song about drinking? (laughs) you have to be an alcoholic to even consider it. Now, I don't know why I wrote them, if you want to know the truth, but they kind of just made me feel less alone. Like there were so many thoughts back in my head in those days which just kind of like screaming to get out. It felt like there was this. It was I guess it was kind of like like a grandfather clock that. Oh shit. Oh no. Oh shit. Oh Dolores. Dolores got a bird. Dolores got a bird. This is not a drill. Dolores has caught a bird. All right. Hold on one second. I, I got to go deal with this. She's not prepared to hunt. Sometimes she has trouble getting out of bed. Dolores. Gee! Kitty! Release him! All right, uh, I am back and I am sorry about that. Just a little update on the developing situation. Uh, It turns out that my worst fears have now been realized because Dolores, my one-eyed cat, uh, has captured a bird and currently has it cornered on my mother's back porch. So uh, let me explain. My mother has a fairly good-sized backyard with a porch attached, and recently we've been letting Dolores have kind of free range of the yard so that she can get some exercise, since she spends most of her time in my dorm room, which is technically smaller than most regulation military prison cells, so... You know, she has what the vets call Shining Syndrome, and she's always been a little aggressive with birds, but she's not a natural hunter. Usually on our walks, if she sees one, she'll try and jump for it, but just end up face planting on the ground. Her depth perception's not good. But right now, she has somehow managed to capture a cardinal and has brought it through her little cat door onto our porch. Now... I did manage to get Dolores away from the bird before she could eat it, and I I held her in my arms and pressed her against me tightly, even though she squirmed and tried to free herself, and I said, No! No, you're a bad kitty! And finally, she let out a little meow and curled against me, and that's good. Truly, listener, I thought she had killed it, because it was lying there, motionless for a moment. So, I walked towards it, and I couldn't tell if it was breathing, but there was some blood on the floor. And I looked at Dolores because I thought, you know, if the bird really was dead, it it couldn't hurt to let her have a bit of fun. It saves me cleaning up a carcass. But then this stupid bird springs up, flaps its wings, lets out a squawk, and then flops around on the floor for a moment in these sad little circles, because I was pretty sure it had broken one of its wings bitch cat. Dolores then freed herself from my grasp, and I said, get back here, but she didn't. She moved towards the bird, and suddenly it sprang up from its death spiral and pecked at her, and she hissed, and she sprang back, and the bird flew from us and perched just above the door, and it stared down at us, and I could tell that it was breathing very rapidly. Dolores and I both stared at it, and I said, leave him alone, you bully, And as I said this, I started to think about how rough this was. This is a terrible first time to try mushrooms. The vibes are just simply off. And really, since I'd never done them before, how could I trust myself in this situation? Maybe they'd already taken effect. Maybe the bird wasn't real. Maybe no birds are real. Maybe they are government satellites sent to spy on us to figure out what we do in the bathroom when the door is closed. But no, 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 no. There was blood, there was feathers. Those were real. Dolores was real. And she was um licking herself, licking at her collar where the bird had pecked her. And I looked at her at her one precious remaining golden eye, and I realized that if this bird was cornered, if it had the chance, it could blind her. I moved towards the hyperventilating animal. I made eye contact with it the whole time. Nice birdie, I said. It's okay, little guy. I'm not going to let her get to you. And then I kicked the door open with my foot and let it prop there, just slightly ajar, and I said, go on, go on, fly off. It's all right. She can't follow you. But this bird did not fly. Instead, (laughs) this bird let out a thin, watery jet stream of creamy, white feces, which landed straight on my shoes and the cuffs of my jeans. Oh, oh, come on, you fucking bird! All right, you know what? You little shit, you're on your own. I am going to go have a mind-altering experience. You two play nice. But I knew they wouldn't but that's okay. And I have an update on this trip, as I believe it's called by the kids. Since I came back inside from my bird scapade, I have put on a record on my mother's vinyl record player. And an interesting thing has happened. I've noticed that the music has started to feel slow. Slower than it usually sounds. Like, It's almost like it's running at three-quarter speed. Like, like I can hear every instrument and all the vocal tracks individually, and it's like all of them are playing over top of each other. It's it's deeply fascinating. Anyway, I will keep you updated as it goes along. Okay, I have another update on the developing cat-bird situation and an update on the psychoactive drug situation. So, I don't know where to start, but I think we should talk about Dolores because it's a little more pressing. After I went back inside and put on the record player, I decided to call my mother to see what she would do about this. Will, she said, "Uh, can this wait? I'm with a patient right now. It's kind of an emergency, I said. And she sighed and excused herself and then went out in the hallway and said, okay, um, is the house on fire? No, it's worse. Dolores has a bird cornered on the porch. Okay. And? And it's a bird. Is it doing anything? Well, it, it won't leave. Is she doing anything? Well, she's trying to eat it. Well, do you realize that I just had to step out on a man with abandonment issues to take this call? Is that bad? Will he be angry? Well, I suppose, but then again, he does have a deep fear of conflict, so he won't say anything about it. And then she just sort of started laughing and said, regardless, Will, just leave Dolores alone. She knows what she's doing. But she's going to kill that poor bird. She might. Cats kill birds, Will. That's what they do. I would say the best thing you can do is go upstairs and pretend not to notice. Well, what if it pecks her eye out? Will I have to go? Well, okay, but I... So maybe it'll fly out on its own, do you think? I think the cat's gonna cat, sweetheart. Sorry. And then she hung up. I sighed. I looked at Dolores. She was sitting there. The bird was still perched above the doorway, and the door was cracked. It could fly out any time. And below it, there sat Dolores, looking hungry. Her tail was swishing back and forth, and I opened the door again, and I said, Kitty, Key, come inside, okay? Come inside, okay? Dolores didn't look at me. Dolores, I said, do not ignore me when I am talking to you. You leave that bird alone. You understand? You big bully. Dolores looked at me and then walked to the corner of the room and began to lick herself. I shut the door. I locked it. I watched her bathe herself for a minute more. I wanted to believe that she would be good, but deep down I could tell by that look in her eye that she was still planning to affect the local bird population. Adversely, I might add. Still, I went upstairs, and I sat down on my bed, and I decided that I would try and make this as pleasant a trip as possible. And it occurs to me now that as I make this recording, I likely should not have taken these mushrooms alone. That I should have had a guide, or someone to walk me through what I was experiencing, and someone to hold me back just in case I started to imagine crab people, or that sort of thing. So I decided that I would listen to a guided meditation tape. I found one on YouTube and popped in my headphones. Hello, a cold and sterile voice said. You're listening to the Mindful Place Guided Meditation Series, your guide to relaxation, inner peace, and enlightenment. This is Guide 29, Finding Your Place of Serenity. Let's begin with a few deep breaths. as i breathed i thought back i thought to the panopticon to the giant space monster pretending to be sydney warning me there's going to be a great cat's catastrophe what was that when would that be had it already come was it david by this point said the voice your heart rate should be starting to slow you may notice thoughts coming and going of their own accord and this is fine Let them. And I started to think, boy, (laughs) you know what would really hit different is a, a pulled pork sandwich. Attempt to rid your mind of unwanted distractions such as thoughts of work, social obligations, or food. You should avoid thoughts such as, I'd sure like a pulled pork sandwich. That felt oddly specific, phone. Today... We're going to begin looking for our place of serenity. This may be different from person to person, but it may be difficult and time-consuming to find yours. Instead, consider a white sandy beach. Everyone likes a white sandy beach. Fair enough. Picture yourself walking along a coastline on a white sandy beach on a bright sunny day. Feel the sand beneath your toes. Enjoy the smell of salt and the tropical breeze. Feel that self-same breeze against your face. Perhaps a seagull is sidling on the beach beside you. Pay it no mind. If you pay the seagull mind, it will steal your picnic basket. That's right, you have a picnic basket. I forgot to mention the picnic basket... You have one, and the gull wants to steal it. But don't think about that. Otherwise, your mind will start to wander, and then you will be doing this wrong. Who the fuck came up with these tapes? Now, the passionless voice continued, picture an animal. Perhaps it's a sea lion. Walk towards the sea lion. I closed my eyes a little tighter, and I did try to picture a sea lion, it wasn't a very good one, or rather I guess it wasn't a very realistic-looking one. It was a cartoon sea lion with big watery eyes and a trilby hat. Hello, Mr. Sea Lion. Oh, he said, hello, hello, hello. My name is Sea Lionel. Would you like to make a sandcastle with me? <coughs> "Oh, oh, oh." Um, sure, I told Sea Lionel. And so I imagined myself bending down, and C. Lionel and I began packing buckets full of sand, me with my human hands, and C. Lionel with his flippers, which curved to form strangely convincing opposable thumbs. My, what realistic fingers you have there, C. Lionel. Oh, Will, he said, you couldn't be further from the truth. "'Yes. These aren't fingers. These are my wiggly dunderheads, I use them to crack open oysters and crabs.' "'Oh, yes, of course. That's right. I emptied one of the buckets. It formed a neat tower, and Sea Lionel clapped his flippers together. <coughs> or, or, or "'Delightful,' he said. "'Oh, jolly good. I rather like you, Will. Yes.' "'I rather like you, too, Sea Lionel.' <laughs> Gosh, it must be so fun being a sea lion. Oh, yes. No. Yes. Not really. Yes. Not really? Yes? Uh, how come? Oh, because sea lions are endangered. (laughs) Yes. We're being driven to destruction because we've been hunted for so long. Oh. That's... Too bad, yes, bad, and also because male sea lions, yes, have been known to habitually slaughter their own pups, yes, yeah, that's really, uh, um, what, what, what was that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We slaughter our children. I use my wiggly dunderheads to crush them against the rocks. Yes. I like the sounds they make when they start screaming <laughs> and they say, "Papa, no." And I like the sounds of their heads crashing against the rocks. <laughs> yes. And then I like to mate with and consume the carcasses. <laughs> yes. Just today I've slaughtered 11 of my own children. <coughs> oh! oh, oh! oh. This conversation has taken an unfortunate turn. I don't think I care to play with you anymore, C. Lionel. I'd like to go home now. You sit back down. You don't get to have guided meditation time without C. Lionel. And then C. Lionel began hopping up and down on the sand until even the sand made this thumping sound. And I took off my headphones and I realized the thumping wasn't coming from my own intrusive thoughts, but rather it was coming from outside the house. It was the sound of something being thrown against the screen door. Dolores, I yelled, leave him alone. And I ran downstairs. It, well, run isn't the right word per se. Uh, it was actually like there was this thread sticking out of my chest and it was compelling me forward. It was like my feet weren't really even walking. It was more like being dragged through fog. But at last I made it downstairs. And I ran out to the porch, and I saw Dolores was there with the cardinal in her mouth, and it was letting out this feeble squawking sound. Dolores, you release him this instant! She glared at me, but her jaw did slacken just enough for the bird to flop out and return to a perched position on one of the windows. It left a few patches of blood and some feathers on the ground. And then it began to breathe very quickly, and I could see that she'd injured it horribly. And I grabbed Dolores by her muzzle and held her in my arms like a baby. And I said, bad, you're a bad, bad kitty and I'm taking you in. And I opened the door to the house. But as I did, Dolores began to squirm in my arms like a bad cat, scratched against me and flopped onto the floor and started to run back through the porch like an asshole and then through the cat door and into the yard. Damn it, Dolores, I said, I'm going to have you declawed for this. But in my heart, and I knew I couldn't. I looked at the cardinal, It was shaking really badly. I cupped my hands and said, come here, little guy. The cardinal let out a feeble chirping sound and then shot out another thin, watery jet stream of feces onto the floor. Some of it got into Dolores' water bowl. I dialed my mother's number again and she answered on the fourth ring, well, I am still with patience. I think she really heard it Are you you still dicking around with the stupid bird? Mom, she's really hurt it. I'm just trying to take it out so it can fly away. Well, honey, she's probably hurt its key feathers. I'm not sure it's going to be able to fly again. Mom, it's bleeding. So let it bleed out. Let Dolores eat it. It's better than letting it suffer. Now, honey, I have to go. I've got a patient here who won't stop eating paper. And then after that, I'm consulting on a case with a guy who designed a fake relaxation tape. Should you be telling me this? Oh, Will, I'm not telling you this because I'm a bad doctor. I'm telling you this because it's interesting. Now let me work. But Mom, the bird... Will? Honey? Oh, I know this is hard. Listen, sometimes nature just needs to take its course. I'm sorry, okay? Okay, I said. And I sighed. I hung up. And I went out on the lawn. The grass was damp and soft, and it squished against my bare feet. I laid down. I took out the phone, and I popped my headphones in. The tape was still going. So, the voice was saying, now that you've successfully killed C. Lionel, picture yourself burning his carcass on a magnificently constructed bonfire, making s'mores on its warmth, allowing the air to carry away the ashes of the afternoon's misfortune. And I said, I think that's enough. I took the headphones off again, and I saw Dolores skulking around in the hostas, her tail twitching in the breeze. Kitty! I said, Kitty, come here! Come here! And Dolores came and stood next to me, and I said, Oh, there's my girl. Come on, come here to me. Dolores pressed her little Godzilla head against my chest and started to purr, and I held her close, and I said, See, isn't that a nice kitty? Isn't this better than eating that bird? And Dolores began to struggle slightly and dug her feet into my sides, And I said, no, 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 you're trapped. You are trapped. And I pressed her against me and rocked into a little sitting position. Finally, she stopped struggling and nestled herself into my lap. And this was nice. Anyway, it was quieter. And now I'm sitting here. And I realized that... Barring Dolores and barring the feeling of this spring rain, I am alone. And it's made me realize that actually, I've never really been alone. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of times in my life that I haven't had anyone else in my immediate vicinity. It's it's lonely. It's quiet being alone. How is that? Well, well, maybe it's not quiet, but I guess things feel less loud. I guess like. Like, all the sounds feel more concentrated, you know? Well, in all fairness, that may be the mushrooms. Possibly. Yeah, I guess I'm not saying it right, though. It's more like, um, like I can hear everything clearer. And like, I can feel everything just a little deeper, like, more personally, more sincerely. But yeah, that's that is definitely the drugs. Well, Then the drugs are good and fun to do. Well, I mean, we all know that. And also, Dolores is soft. I mean, her fur is so floofy. I don't even care about the drying, caked together feces that she's rubbing into my chest right now. Oh, so precious. Go to sleep, kitty. I honestly don't know what I'd do without her. Makes me feel bad like really guilty about Ramona, about Craig's cat. In all the mess about the trial and all the tragedy that's come after it, I can't help but think about her because we never actually found out what happened to her. She just disappeared, like they took her. I mean, God only knows what they did with her, I can guess. I like to imagine that they turned her over to a loving owner or A cat welfare society, but I know better deep down. Probably it was a very loveless death, a needle or possibly they snapped her neck. Her spine was very brittle beneath all the heads and then I'm sure they probably incinerated her without love and without care. And without a goodbye. I bet they got an intern to get rid of the body. I bet it was done with all the care of filing paperwork. I bet the intern didn't even think twice about it. And it makes me feel sorry for Craig. I mean, it's not his fault, any of this. I guess he could have done more to stop what happened, but I don't blame him. He was was against it, and I guess that's maybe the best thing you can be when it's something that you created that's causing the problem. Now he's alone. After 20 years. At the trial, I found out that he hasn't talked with his wife or daughter in over 10 years. He didn't get to watch her grow up or anything. Oh, shit, it's a car. (laughs) I think it's the neighbor. Oh, shit, Dolores. No, no, Kitty, get back here. Okay, I've got another update. Dolores has once again chosen violence and decided to walk on the side of misdeeds. She's back on the screened-in porch and is currently stuck to the screen. The way it happened was the bird flew around the room and when she came back in, she decided the best thing to do would be try and reach it by scaling the mesh screen. She jumped up and stuck into it with her claws. She then became very baffled by her inability to move with ease and gradually anchored and unanchored herself into the screen. Typical Miss Kitty. No exit strategy. And at this point, of course, I was pissed off because that stupid bird had flown everywhere around the room that it could possibly go, but it still hadn't managed to go outside. So I just looked up at it and I said, go! What the fuck is taking you so long? Do you not know that you'll die if you stay here? Just fucking go! It's open! But the bird didn't move. It looked like it was going to shit again, so I stepped back. Fuck you, I told it. And it let out a little chirp. And at this point, Dolores had nearly reached it. So I said, you know what, fine. Have fun being cat food. And Dolores moved towards the bird and raised her paw. And as she did, the bird pecked at her paw and she drew back and I said, bad. And before I knew what I was doing, I had picked up one of the cushions that sat on my mother's rocking chair and I flung it at the two of them and it went sailing through the air and landed between the two of them. And the Cardinal fell through the air and for a moment I thought maybe I had killed it And then it broke into this frantic circular flight around the room. Dolores, meanwhile, dropped to the floor, looked up at me and let out an angry hiss. And I hissed back and she took off outside and I said, Fine! Leave! I stepped back inside and slammed the door. And I sat on the couch and felt my body shaking. I needed water. A glass of water might do me good. I suppose it's better when taking any substance to do it with water. So I stood at the kitchen sink and looked out the window at the front lawn and I watched a car speed down the street. People always go too fast down the street. It is 25 and they do 35 without fail. There are children here, you animals. And it was then that I noticed my reflection in the glass and I stared at it deeply for a moment at this face that I had, at this face that they had destroyed and rebuilt. And I realized that my face is oddly shaped. Well, not odd. Not in a way that's noticeable. It was odd in a way I hadn't actually noticed until today. It was uneven. I had one eye that looked almost like it was bigger or maybe like higher up than the other. Maybe it opened a little bit more. And I had a nose that was slightly larger with one nostril and a mouth with asymmetrical lips, and my ears, my earlobes don't match. One is attached, one's detached. They're asymmetrical. And a voice in the back of my head said, don't look at him anymore, or you won't look away. It was like, almost like my bones themselves had been put together unevenly. Like, maybe... In the womb, there had been two of me at one point, two twins, two Will Hugheses, two Blaine Ballards, and they had swallowed each other, and they had merged almost perfectly down the middle. And the voice said, You're always looking for family, aren't you? Which is an odd thing to say. I'm not always looking for family. I mean, I guess family would be nice. There's my mother, there's my grandmother, there's dad, I guess, but dad is barely dad. Dad never wanted to be dad. It's almost melodramatic when you think about it. Obviously, I didn't know my father's mother. I I didn't know either of my dad's parents. I kind of assumed they're both dead, or anyway, they'd be pushing 85 or 90 if not, but I guess they could still be out there. Dad said when I visited him in Alhambra that I reminded him of his family, that I was a Callan through and through, and God, I hope not. I mean, what would that be like, to be a Callan, to be something that I don't know how to be? I, I would much rather be a Ballard, I think, but I don't know them either. I don't know. I, I'd i certainly like to know my family, but I'm not, like, looking for them. I, I just thought there'd be more of them, you know, like cousins or aunts or uncles or... To be honest... When I'd imagined my mother and father, I'd always wanted to picture that maybe I had siblings. Maybe I had a sister or a brother, and maybe they'd be younger or older, and maybe they'd take me under their wings, but there hadn't been any. There had just been me. But I'm not searching for family. I guess if this year has taught me anything, it's that family's overrated, really. I know that's dramatic, and I I don't mean it, though of course I do, but... No, I don't. Yes, yes, you do. Think about Noah's dad, his grandpa. Think about Noah's mom and Matt. Think about Olivia's parents. I mean, they're nice, but I really don't believe they know anything about her. And Jess's parents untied the knot, and there's me with my mom and my walkout dad. Both psychiatrists. <laughs> Jesus, what a life. You're always looking for family, aren't you? Stop saying that. You're always looking for family, aren't you? Well, I guess I tried to make one. Noah was the brother that I'd never had. The older brother. I mean, he, God, he would have been such a great middle child. And Jess would have been the oldest. The sister. The know-it-all, the one who's in control. And Olivia would have been the youngest sister, I think. She would have been the baby. The free spirit. Favorite, maybe. You're always looking for family, aren't you? Nora. Nora Trent. Fucking sucks that that didn't work. I really did like her. Like, I mean, I get that we weren't meant to be together, but I did like her. I Sometimes I really regret calling it off. But then other times... I don't know, it's awkward. I guess it's bad form to date your brother or sister. <laughs> You're always looking for family, aren't you? So what if I am? I mean, it's the bare minimum. Why is that so much to ask for? Why do I have to face this alone after everything? Why, after all of this, am I alone? You're always looking for family, aren't you? I'm looking for something. What? I don't know. Who? Everyone. Why? Because I grew up with no one. Why? Because of what happened. Why? Because they lied to my mother. Why? Because fuck them. Why? Because they hurt me. Why? Because they did. Why? Because... Because I'm fucking alone! And I hate it, if you want to know the truth. Why? Because I can't be alone, alright? Are you happy? I can't be alone, because when I'm alone, it's quiet. And I can't function when it's too quiet. Because when it gets quiet, it's too loud inside my head. And the world feels like it's pressing on me. And it feels like there is so much and I start to think about everything that's happened to me and everything that was taken from me and I think about mom and I think about dad and I think about Villa Americana and I think about everything I've ever fucked up on and I think about Nora and I think about how I led her on, how I blamed her for this breakup that we had when really I was the one that was too immature to end it when I knew that I was losing interest, when I knew that we weren't going to work. I think about Hugh who never asked to be a person, and whose life I ruined just by being me. I think about David, who's fucking dead, and who my last conversation with was just me insulting him. I mean, he called me the night of the trial. The night before, and I was too much of a child to answer the phone. It was too much of a child to check his fucking voicemail, and I still haven't listened to it because if I do that, then that means that he is really gone, and that means that that's another person I have ruined, and it means that I, I really think that I might be a monster. After all, in a way, are you a monster? I don't know. Or are you just a person going through the ringer? I don't know. What would C. Lionel say about all that? I don't want to think about him. I think that C. Lionel is a sexual predator, if I'm being honest. And ultimately, not fucking real, he is something I imagined, like all of this. At the end of the day, it is just voices in my head. It has always just been voices in my head. It's always just been me talking into a microphone, saying what comes into my head, because ultimately, at the end of the day, what I really am, what I really, really am, I'm alone. Why do you think you haven't listened to David's voicemail? Because I don't want it to be final. I don't want him to be gone, but he is. I can't change that. I can't take back what I said. But David was also my friend. David drove with me to California. David was there when I found out who my mom was. David was a good person, and he was a good friend, and in a weird way, he was like a brother. He was like family. And I'm always looking for family, aren't I? And I I think... I actually could stand to listen to that message, now.
1: Hey Will. Sorry to call you so late, man. I just wanted to say a couple things, and the first of them is... I know how hard this is. Really. I know how much this trial is taking out of you. It's taking a lot out of me, too. All of us, really. You, me, Olivia, your mom, Dr. Holloway, everyone. I know what happened with your dad. I was fucked up. I shouldn't have tried to intervene. I I realize that. And I know you know you shouldn't have brought up my parents like that. I know I don't talk about them much. The The truth is, my life as a monster was, I think, a little different than yours. It's because, unlike you, unlike Olivia, I have something on my conscience that I can't get over. This is something the company told me when I was getting ready to be released. I took a life. As a creature, apparently. I was scavenging in someone's house one winter and this old man came out and tried to stop me from stealing from his fridge and I guess he startled me so I I attacked him and he tried to fight back but I was young and I had claws so I won. By accident, I guess. And I've never told you or Olivia or your mom any of this. Because I don't know how to deal with it myself. Some days I can't excuse it. Because it feels like a distant memory. I mean, it's still me. But it wasn't really me. You know, like, I didn't know what I was doing. But it's still me. And some days I just feel like I can't outrun that. And I don't know what to do with it because it's still my fault deep down. And it's made me leave home. It made me leave college. That guilt. It drove a wedge between me and my parents because they thought maybe I'd hurt them. Them or my brothers. And then there was you and Olivia and you two made me feel less guilty. And then there was Dr. Holloway who gave me a roof over my head and told me I didn't have to feel guilty. And then there was your mother who treated me like a person. Like an equal. And I've been grateful for all of you. And I know that it's very hard. The things that have happened this year its have been hard for you. And... I'm trying to forgive myself for what I've done, Will. And I feel like some days, I can. And I just want you to know, I think you should too. Because I know you're trying really hard. I want you to know that as someone who's been there too, I see you and I think you're doing a good job, Will. And I am proud of you. I just want you to know that. And please, tell your mother thank you from me. And I hope she and Dean are happy. And hopefully after this trial is over, yeah, let's you, me, and Olivia go up to the lake. I guess if I could leave you with anything, it's the advice that I actually read on a pillow. Don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. Anyway, I'm all talked out. And I feel like I'm running low on space. Take care of yourself, Will. Goodbye.
0: So, let's say that I could not sweat the small stuff. And let's say that I could give Will Hughes a break. I have to ask, what is there that's good about me? Well, um... I like to think that I'm a kind person. I don't mean bad, even if I do bad. Like, last year Noah bought a little bit of ivy for our room that he was neglecting. And I used to like to go and get it water from the drinking fountain. And I'm honest. I'm an honest person. In a bio quiz, freshman fall, I let someone copy off my notes, and then, because I felt bad about letting them cheat, I purposely wrote down almost all the wrong answers on that quiz so that no one would know that they got it from me. Which, I guess isn't really that honest, but I think it's something. And I work hard. Like, back before the donkey pit got shut down for bad sanitation, I... I used to stay there an hour after clothes, sorting the donkey droppings by size, color, and consistency, even when Humphrey didn't have gloves. I used to like to sing, and all of this is who I used to be. Last year, all of this was new, and it was fresh, and frankly, yeah, it was easier. And I'd love for it to be like that again, but I know it's not going to be, because I know it can't go back. And... With that in mind, um... I should probably go and clean up the dead bird on the porch. But when I went outside, there was no dead bird. There were no feathers. There was no carnage. Instead, I was greeted by a different sight. Dolores and the bird were sitting there, just staring at each other. Both of them were confused-looking, and neither of them moved. And as I stepped outside, both of them turned to look at me. and I said, are you two playing nice? And Dolores walked over to me and rubbed against my leg, and I reached down to pick her up. And as I did, the cardinal spread its wings and flew out the open door. And except for the red feathers and the streaks of feces, it left almost no indication that it had ever been there. And I sat down with Dolores. And I kissed her little head. And I felt the rain coming down through the screen. It was very light. It was very comforting. And I felt, for the first time in months, like I actually maybe wanted to sing something. Like, I wanted to hear my own voice. And I started to sing the only song I could think of in that moment. I'm actually not even sure how I knew it. And it came faintly. And it went like this. Oh, the summertime is coming. And the leaves are sweetly blooming. And the wild mountain thyme Grows among purple heather Will you go? Will you go? And will all go together To pull wild mountain thyme From among the purple heather Will you go, will you go? Oh, that's a good girl. That's a good, good girl. Come on, cat. Let's go watch TV. Dry Land was created by, written by, and stars Adam frost Venrick as Will Hughes and produced by Mr. Venrick and the Z Theater Company. This week's episode guest starred William Mayne as David. Thank you for listening and please tune in next time for more dry land.